Welcome in episode 210 of the Modern Drummer Podcast with Mike and Mike, and this episode is brought to you in part by Cat Percussion. Um, if you're not familiar with Cat Percussion, go to cat, that is K-A-T, percussion.com. Have a look at their catalog. Um, in particular, if you are a mallet percussion player, check out the Mallet Cat Pro. That's the MK Pro. This is a MIDI controller that is a three-octave keyboard setup, uh, similar size to like a xylophone. Um, three three octaves. You can also uh, purchase expanders to make it four or five octaves if you want to go full-on marimba size. Um, but this is a um, really high-quality professional mallet keyboard instrument. has the same uh, technology that is incorporated into Cat's other instruments, like the uh, drum cat. So it has really, really realistic response and feel. It has 127 programmable setups. You can split the keyboards. You can have a certain sound assigned to the lower octave or a certain region. You can have different sounds assigned to the middle and the upper region. You can layer sounds. You can have... Um, the sounds carry over. So if you go from a vibraphone to marimba, you can have the vibraphone carry over into the marimba sound. Uh, it's a really, really powerful uh, MIDI controller for anyone who's looking to do uh, more keyboard percussion stuff. Um, I've used this before a bunch. Uh, I've used them in a orchestra pit where we didn't have room for a marimba, but I was able to trigger and play very uh, dynamically uh, marimba parts, vibraphone parts. Anyway, uh, to go to uh, Cat Percussion, that's katpercussion.com. Take a look at the Mallet Cat Pro, as well as the other instruments they have there. It's really top-notch electronic uh, instruments. So yeah, that's the Mallet Cat Pro. This episode is also brought to you by Dream Symbols. This is our longtime advertiser, so um, here's what I would like you to do. If your local drum shop or music store does not carry Dream Symbols, please go down there and request that they get some in for you to check out. If you've never played any Dream Symbols, they offer kind of a classic, old, warm, kind of broken-in, soft, somewhat trashy sound um, from a new symbol, and the prices are always really, really competitive. So if you want to get, you know, just some, an alternative sound but you don't want to spend a ton of cash, something maybe kind of more jazzy, more kind of thinner, uh, check out some of their Bliss and Contact and Vintage Bliss, check out some of their effects. But really the mission is go to your dealer, request that they get some in for you to check out. I think you're going to leave with at least one ride symbol. That would be my guess. Anyway, that is Dream Symbols. Go to dreamsymbols.com to check them out. Now for our intro beat, we have um, Corey. This is Corey's uh, beat. He is playing a CNC kit with um, 13 16-inch toms, 24-inch bass drum. He's got a Hendrix Custom Architect Walnut Snare which is a deep 8x14. He's got an old uh, Zildjian 1960 24-inch ride. He's got an old 1950s 18-inch uh, crash and 14-inch hi-hats. He has a more recent 2000-era custom crash. He's using the uh, Vader Vintage Bomber Beater. He's got drum cubes in there for muffling, which is something that should probably feature. He's got a, a Minel Ching Ring incorporated in there. So yeah, this is, and he's recorded everything in GarageBand. So let's check out Corey's beat and let's get the show going. One. 
What is up, everybody, and welcome into episode 210 of the Modern Drummer Podcast with Mike. That's a throwback. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I haven't done that in a while. How are you, I'll man? Keep going. Can you keep going with the script? Do it. Uh, uh, I don't think I don't, I don't have it up. I'm looking at pro. T- I could try to do it off the top of my head. What is up, everyone? <laughs> and welcome into episode 210 of the Modern Drummer Podcast with Mike and Mike. My name is Mike Johnston from Mike'sLessons.com, and my co-host, who will be joining us shortly, is Mr. Mike Dawson, managing editor of Modern Drummer Magazine. I'm out of breath. Damn, that was good. Good job. Thanks, buddy. <laughs> All right. So are you uh, are you jet lagged? How are you feeling? Zero. Yeah, I was um, a little jet lagged there on maybe the second day and third day, just a little bit. But coming home, no, nothing. I, I slept through. I got home two days ago, slept through the nights, and I haven't been napping during the day. So yeah, nope. everything feels good. I really just came home and immediately took all the information from that event and put it into work in my studio. Uh, so we should definitely talk about that mm. event because it was something I wasn't prepared for what it was. I did not know what it was, and it was much different than what I thought. So, okay. I saw that uh, yeah. you first you released the video that Adobe made, and then I saw yesterday the full presentation is up, right? Oh, you saw it? I, I didn't want to watch it yet. I watched like the first okay. few minutes and kind of got the vibe, but I didn't want to dig in until you had a chance to talk about it first. Yeah. Um, yeah, I didn't know. So it was a trade show for, it was like CES, the consumer electronics show, except for only cameras and broadcasting gear and broadcasting software. And so all geared towards people that make video based content. So heaven for me Mm. to walk around. And so Adobe was just like the way that Nam is set up as guitar, bass, drums in different areas, yep. Adobe was in the software area. Yep. So there were no cameras anywhere near me. But uh, So I would hang out there and walk around. But what was really cool is Adobe, these booths are not like Nam booths. These things are huge. So where that speech was mm-hmm. with that giant screen, that was their booth. Oh, so it really is so, kind of like the Roland setup where they have their own stage and their own background. They have their own theater. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, so it was like that. And then on the other side of that giant screen, would um, the other side of their booth, was a bunch of little setups where there would be a guy at the Adobe Photoshop booth, and he would just be teaching people. Like, he was just sitting there, and you'd walk up and say, hey, how do I get rid of footprints in the sand if there's this picture? And he'd be like, oh, well, let me pull up a picture, and he would teach you how to do that. So it was like private lessons, and they were just hanging out. It'd be like you and I just sitting down at NAM with pads being like, come on in. What do you want to know? So it was kind of heaven. When I wasn't teaching, I'd go over there and I'd go to the Adobe Premiere guy and I would talk to him about things like, hey, this is how I set up my sessions when I'm editing a video. Am I doing this in the most efficient way possible? Mm. And then they'd say, yeah, and then you just open this right here, Essential Sound. And I was like, what, I, what the hell is Essential Sound? Like, oh, you don't use this? This is how you can de-reverb the room and this oh, is how you wow. can... And you can just click this button right here, and it'll auto-duck your music underneath any time you talk. So you yeah. can have music in the background, and then any time you speak, it'll just auto-duck it by 16 dB. That's kind of like Pro Tools and Logic, where if you think there should be a feature for it, there probably is. You just don't know where it is. <laughs> that's exactly what it was. So it was that stuff was really cool, but the main thing was, or at least the most fun that I had was on the last day, the pressure was off. I gave my speech in the morning instead of the evening, and I got to go over to the gear side of things, to the camera side of things. And this is where it blew our little joke of an industry out of the water. Like, mm. I thought, you know, Pearl Drums, don't get no bigger than that. <laughs> Holy hell. So going over to the Canon booth or the Zeiss booth or any of the 
uh, Fuji, Panasonic. So what they would have, let's say the Canon booth is all their gear is set out, but then they have these little areas where it's a, they built a little mini library and there's a guy sitting on a couch reading a book for the next eight hours. And then all their cameras and all their lenses are set up around him and you film him with, so they've set up this scenario what? and you just try out the Canon C300 oh. with the 35 mil prime lens. <laughs> then weird. you swap lenses and film him with an 85 and then, and he's just sitting there fake reading. What do you think that guy made for the day? <laughs> <laughs> totally. And then like then, and then there's different scenes. So then you go to the next little room and the next room is, uh, not as well lit and it's a lady at a fake bar just cleaning glasses and you film her in low light situations and then the next one is a DJ with lights popping everywhere and you film that Fascinating. guy it was incredible man I was just blown away and every booth was like that it was it was it was crazy even uh, at the Atomos booth and that's like a thing that would be a screen that you add to your, the top of your camera but it also records from your camera so instead of recording internally you'd be recording to this screen. Anyways, they have, they had a great booth, but they had uh, they built a whole little coffee area. I don't know how to explain it. Like, they literally had a like a legit French barista in there and he was actually making espressos for anyone that wanted them, but you filmed him and you'd zoom in on the steam and could you focus oh, on the that's steam? Brilliant. It was really cool, man. Uh, so I, I had a blast on that part of it for sure. Just geeking out. <laughs> you know, a, a totally different side note, but this reminded me of it when you're talking about the extra features. I just got a link to check out um, Joe Clegg, who's a drummer for uh, Ellie Goulding, and I believe yeah. does some work with Mumford and Sons. Yeah, I know Joe. He's like a Ableton Live guru. So he just put a course out that is like. It's a drum video, but it is not a drum video. He's showing you like how he does full production recreations for like major really? pop tours, and there's so many things in Ableton Live that I'm like, oh, that's how you, that's what that little thing is for, like how to mm-hmm. get the kick drum, like this, this you can how you can assign an infinite number of samples to your kick drum track, and then as you get to that point in the song, it'll just automatically change to the sound that you need for the verse or the pre-chorus, down wow. to like you can have a like. Every sixteenth note, it can change samples. Wow! And just do it automatically. And that was like, oh, okay. So it's deep. So we'll definitely go into it deeper. But if you're looking for, um, if you're in that world, it's called Ableton Live for Drummers, and it's on Gumroad.com. He just sent it to yeah. me, so we'll we'll probably feature it more. But that just reminded me, like, ah, I've been using Ableton Live for fifteen years, and I never once thought about how to automate my kick drum samples. Yeah, I think that was probably my favorite part of being there at this event was obviously I only spoke for a half an hour. So in any other time, I was just sitting in the crowd soaking it up. So the way they had it worked out was there would be like an Adobe teacher that actually worked at Adobe. He would give a half hour class on that same stage on something could be After Effects or Photoshop or Final Cut or not Final Cut um, Premiere. Mm -hmm. And then after that would be a customer story like me. So there was mm-hmm. seven or seven or eight other people like me that would say, okay, I have no idea what I'm doing, but here's how I use these tools to run my business. So and did you find that you had targeted your audience correctly or was it not even close? Yeah. That's what I was wondering. No. The biggest thing I yeah. was wondering. <laughs> yeah, no. So I, I thought it was, I thought it was a Ted talk, you uh-huh. know? Um, so luckily the video is of the second day and I didn't really dial things in completely till the third day. The first day, I was way off the mark. Really? And I, I didn't, if, if somebody would have just said, 
hey, just so you know, you're presenting at NAM. That would have been a little bit different. I would have been like, okay, so most of the people that are going to be here probably don't even want to be here. They're just people that have tired feet yeah. and want to sit. And and they're also developers. I mean, I still would have gone as inspirational as I did. But if you watch the video, you'll see the first five minutes is a little bit shaky because I'm trying to find my footing. Mm. And then right about the 10-minute mark, I hit my stride. And it's like, okay, now I know. And th- this is the other thing. And I had to do deal with this every every speaker had to deal with this. As soon as you're as soon as someone's done speaking, the entire stage area empties out. The crowd is gone. Yeah. So when you get on stage, there might be three people sitting in front of you, mm-hmm. and then it's your job over the next ten minutes to, with as much energy as possible, create people that are just walking by to come and sit down. And so it, it was tough. And so <laughs> so you can tell. And I that's what I learned about myself the most from this was. If the crowd is full, I am on. Like it's full Johnston, yeah. all inspiration. And when it wasn't, I was struggling. So, not struggling like it was bad, but I just couldn't be me. Yeah. I felt like this. Overworking I felt it. like I felt like a failure. Honestly, I was mm. like, damn, I'm letting these people down. And I didn't. And I didn't realize that it happened for everybody until yeah. I saw like somebody told me like, hey, that guy right there, Jason Levine, he is literally the rock star of Adobe, and. People pay you know four thousand dollars a day to just sit and listen to him speak, and then to watch him do the same thing for four people. Yeah, and then it filled up and was packed. That's and so the, I, I just got used to that. That's kind of the pacing effect too, where you got to you know every hour there's a clinic to go to. So without fail, the first ten minutes is, is people just slowly coming in, and the last ten minutes everyone's walking out on you. So you had to like right. plan it. Like yep. you need to stop at the ten minute before the hour mark. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Or you're going to yeah. be. You're going to be because they're off rushing off to another clinic. Yeah, you're just annoying everybody at that point. But yeah, so so it was it was amazing, and I'm really proud of the video that came out. Like, I mean, that's the other thing is you know, okay, this isn't just live streaming. This will live on Adobe's YouTube channel forever. Yeah, <laughs> and so uh, so I'm really happy with how it came out, and I found I know that I have out of that 30 minutes a bunch of little 60 second chunks that I can use for other social media in the future that I'm truly proud of but i'm excited there i think they're going to try to have me do vidcon which will be is is really it's like a giant conference just for creators where the audience would be my audience these are the people that want to do what i'm trying to do so is this more like techie like professional designers and developers yeah and so already in the career and you were talking they're already doing it well they're they're in a different career they're in the working for someone else career. So Adobe had me there to say, what if you could convince some of those people to work for themselves? Mm -hmm. Or maybe they have a dream other than this career, but because they all have all this technical know-how, maybe they could apply that to this thing that they really, maybe they like making leather goods, but now they know how to film and edit and to, so that was my role for Adobe. So I had a blast and I have to say this, I just have to put this out there. I I really thought Adobe was going to be much more, I guess maybe startup, like a bunch of 27-year-olds that just think we work for the big company, we're cooler than you. Mm-hmm. It was the complete opposite. Almost everyone I talked to had worked for the company for no less than 15 or 20 years. Wild. Everyone I talked to. They were like, yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm the guy that actually created Photoshop. And I'm like, what? And I'm like, so what do you do now? <laughs> oh, I'm the head of Photoshop. Like, I still do that. It's been 28 years. Oh, and my I'm God. Like, Imposter wow. syndrome. The, you know, the red flags would be flying up for me. Like, what have you done with your life, dude? What have you done with your yeah. life? <laughs> well, and then I'm thinking, like, 
okay, so you just saw me edit a flyer in Photoshop during my presentation. How I, I got so many DMs from people who were like, do you not know what kerning is? Do you not know what? And I'm like, no, that's the whole reason I'm here is I have no idea what the hell I'm doing and I'm still doing it. So that means you can too. So we can get into it more in future podcasts. I will just say that I had a blast and I was very scared because I'm a PC guy and I've been using Adobe products for over a decade. I was kind of scared that this thing that I've been defending to people for over a decade, I'd meet the people that worked for it and be like, oh God, <laughs> you guys are just a bunch of you know jerks. Like I've been standing up for you for so long. And so to have constant meals and dinners with these people that run this company and the VPs and everything, and they were such good people. They were really what Steve Jobs' vision for Apple was, but he ruled with so much fear that it could never become that. Mm. But his vision was, this is for the creatives, the outcasts, the people that don't know where they fit in the world, but they're creative. And it's like, I think he did a great job of making products for those people, but the company was never that. And Adobe like literally is that company. So that felt good. It would be the same as you just being like, okay, I've been honking my horn about this RBH stuff for a while. And then you meet Bruce and he's a jerk and you're like, ah, damn it. Well, he is, but I'll give him a pass. He is. Yeah. (laughs) He's not really a jerk as much as he's an ass, but (laughs) no, I think that that's, and that's when you, okay. So honestly, you, you're not an touted ass that stuff. You're not. <laughs> you touted Bruce's stuff for a long time on this podcast before yeah. I ever met him at Nam last year. And I remember when I met him, I was like, "Man, that's cool." Like, yeah. I'm. It's great that you make awesome drums, but thank you for being a good dude. And that was the feeling I got. So, if you're a user of those products, you can feel good about it. They're good people. Well, this weekend I got to um, have a much smaller, more intimate experience. I went down to Woodland Percussion in Avondale, uh, Pennsylvania which is a cool little shop if you're in that area to go check it out. It mostly features uh, Woodland Percussion's own like handmade snare drums and shakers and box drums and really cool stuff that we'll probably get into later. But I was there to help support Nicky Moon with the launch of his One Series Symbols, which was awesome. So uh, essentially the, the two and a half hours was him talking about symbol history bust, oh you know, busting some myths about what we think symbols are and yeah. aren't. Uh, which was all super cool. But the best part was he brought some raw blanks, like stuff that he gets from Turkey and and just spent 10 minutes hammering one of them. And it was really, there was two things I noticed him getting in the mode of like, I'm going to make a symbol. is just like a musician getting into the flow of performing. Like really the first five or six hammer hits you just getting a feel for it, and then he kind of hits this mode and you're like whoa he's making art now like wow. now he's just moving so fast and doing all these little adjustments and he would stop along the way and be like you hear what what happened there the metal just gave this way so i've got to go to the other side to compensate for it it was fascinating to see this basically look like a dorito and then within five minutes he had sort of created a symbol out of it i was like wow that i would have no idea where to even begin and the fact that you didn't just annihilate this piece of bronze <laughs> you know right and it, now so just i've seen blanks at minel before <laughs> but is his blank literally just a, a round circle uh he gets them with the bells pressed in Some, okay that's what i was gonna sometimes ask. okay so the ones he so brought these had, had bells, bells and that was it yeah it was just like this wavy dorito looking thing with a bell in it oh wow <laughs> really <laughs> yeah like not even close to being a symbol profile. It was just super crazy. But 
Uh, there was a few, th- just a bunch of stuff. Seeing him get in the flow, just being able to see the magic of taking this rough piece of metal that you could equate with anything, go to a scrapyard and just pick up something, and he could, he just kind of found within five minutes, he kind of knew what the symbol was going to be, which was fascinating. And then he kind of hit with the, uh, uh, dropped the knowledge about like, you know, I've learned over time, which is just like anything else. There's only so many hammer hits you can make on this thing before it's gone. It's just like really if okay. So it's like a running back in the NFL. Yeah, you have so many carries, and yeah. it doesn't matter how talented you are or yeah, what you're or, starting you know, with. If you're if you're mixing paint, eventually, if you keep going crazy, you just end up with brown. So you're yeah. you're done. So he knows like there's a there's a maximum number of hits that this thing can withstand before it's trash. So he's always searching wow. for the minimal number of hammer hits to get the result that he wants. Which just kind of harkens back to me with drumming. Like, what's the minimum amount of notes that I can play to convey the emotion that I'm trying to convey? Right. Versus, let me try all the notes and then hope that something kind of happens. So it was just great to see a, an artist at that level who's still he's still grinding it. I mean, it's very punk rock to, to see one dude with a hammer and a homemade anvil smashing right. plates of bronze <laughs> into cymbals. So it was cool. It was cool to see. And then. Were there were there lots of people there? Uh, it's a small it's a people? small space, so I think I think okay. we might have had a maybe a dozen or so there. But even in that, I mean, it got sweaty pretty quick in there. Sure, so it was cool, and I'm sure I'm sure those dozen that were there for that were highly dedicated to the moment. Yeah, it was it was you know what you would want. It was a community. There was another you know aspiring symbol maker there to kind of soak up some of his magic, which was really cool. There you go. So it was just it was just yeah, one of those I mean, reminders about this drum community. It's just it's it's strong no matter where we are you know like it's it's yeah. a strong vibe and just to see everyone support i mean because i i support all companies especially the ones that i'm like this dude doesn't have to do this <laughs> you know right there's, there's easier things he could do at this time in his life and save his shoulder and but he's just i want to make symbols i mean who's who makes that decision and i want to make them the best possible and i want to make sure that they are on par with what we think from on par or better than what we expect from all the biggies so right well what's um i always get the name wrong but what was the italian one that was around for so long was it spizzacino yeah 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 yeah. is that how you say it yep yeah he kind of set the mold for that i think yeah right and i mean that was the craviato of symbols at the time was you know one symbol and uh and yeah i mean i just remember people freaking out over it and i was like what's the big deal and then i finally played one and i was like oh my god and i think i think i as I was there, I had an epiphany. Like, why, why we gravitate towards these handmade things is because he's taking all the break-in period out. Like, yeah. you buy a new ride symbol that comes from a factory, you know, there's quality control, but it's going to take a couple years for that metal to kind of become what you want it to be. Yeah, I think we've talked about it on here before, but that was the problem that I ran into when we were making the transition ride was when it was... When I signed off on mine and I said, this is the one, then they made the first production model, sent that to me. And I told Norbert, we aren't even close. And he said, no, no, this is literally gram for gram, the exact same symbol. You've played yours for a year and a half yep. and you've loosened the molecules and the pitch has gone down. Yep. And, so, and I was like, oh, man, that's that's crazy. And then sure enough, the the one that I have on my kit right now is a production model. It's the one that I've had a lot of people sign. If anyone ever asks me, if anyone wonders out there when you see my symbol, 
why there's all those signatures on it. It's not Weckle and Vinny. Um, it's anytime someone asks me to sign their ride, their transition ride, then I have them sign mine. So I had, those are all the signatures on the bottom, but that symbol now is at the same pitch as the original prototype. So it took about a year and a half, two years until it finally loosened up and became its thing and lost some of the high pitched overtones. So I totally see that. And I think he's, you know, anyone who's handcrafting something, they're trying to get it to that point right away. And I think that's why I like, you know, small batch handmade stuff. That's why I like vintage gear because the breaking period is done. It is what it is. And now you can either like it or not like it. Uh, I think there's also the other part that we all love about that stuff is just knowing I don't have yours, even though we have the same model. And that's a cool thing is like, I I love, I mean, maybe that's what caused Meinl to blow up the way they did a few years ago, or maybe, you know, five or six years ago when the Byzant series came out was instead of being flawlessly recreated, it was, you actually had to find your 18 inch extra dry crash Mm -hmm. because they didn't all sound the same. And obviously we've had that for a long time. And the other boutique symbol companies do a great job of that. But I think, in anything, whether it be clothing or leather goods or even a mug that you're drinking out of, it's like, I know somebody made this for me and no one else has this. Yeah. And that's just a cool feeling. And I think I think then after that, you have to be really good at your craft. And Nikki is that because obviously I could make you a symbol, Mike, and no one else would have it. <laughs> but you don't want to play the damn thing. Well, that, that's, so. that's what is kind of, that's the magic for me is, you know, I could have taken one of his symbols and, you know, analyzed where the spacing of every hammer mark is and how deep the hammer marks are and how, how steep is the profile and how much does the thing weigh. And I could program a robot to recreate that down to like an imperceivable difference. It's not right. going to be the same because I agree. he made those minor changes based on that one piece of bronze that needed to be worked that, that particular way. You can't right. recreate it. It's impossible. Right. No, I, I totally agree. Well, that's, that's awesome. Now, did you play at this event? Yeah, I did. I mean, I did a, a, sh- a short, like, half-hour version of my, my thing, which was more just cool. to kind of put some drumming in the day while because the rest of the day was, was more craftsmanship. But it was, it was fun. I mean, it's always fun to get out. And, you know, th- that's, that's kind of my tribe down there, those guys. So it's, it's a good people, good hang. Thanks for when it came out. Um, so it just kind of prepped me for England this weekend, which uh, the irony of having a life dedicated to your art is that I get no time to actually work on my art. So oh God. <laughs> I have not practiced Preach, brother. one iota for this thing. But I'm just hoping that the past year of super intense preparation with from PASIC and everything else, it's, it, it's going to, I think it's, it's, it's just, almost like muscle memory. I'm not It'll even, come back to I'm you not right even sweating it at all because I think that's the whole point is I'm the whole, the clinic is called uh, creative practice. So I'm not going there to perform. I'm going there to practice and make a fool of myself and show you what I'm doing. So right. I'm kind of okay with it. I think the biggest thing for me is I'm okay with just not sounding good because that's the point of the whole thing. We're going to start from right. something that sounds like crap and then, Let's make it something. Love it. I love it. So, well, let's get into something <clears throat> that doesn't sound like crap. <laughs> That's Stefan Chamberlain's article about advanced techniques for jazz soloing. Should we tell them how much work we put into hoping that that name was right? <laughs> nah. You and I both know him, but we never get to talk to him. We only know him through you know Instagram and Facebook and stuff. So we're like, is it? Stefan? I mean, there's got to be Stephanie. like a communications one-on-one rule. Like when you see someone you haven't seen in six months, you should probably say their name. Like, 
Hey, Stefan, how you doing? Hey, Mike, yeah. how are you doing? I don't do that. I just, I recognize faces. I'm like, hey, what's up? I haven't seen you in a long time. Yeah. And then I forget how to say I'm, your I'm, name. I'm bad with that. <laughs> I will, I'm the same. I can remember anyone's face that I've met. You know, I mean, I'll see people where I'm like, I met you at NAM like six years ago. Oh, yeah. But I don't know a single person's name. Yeah. It's it's terrible. Yeah, I misspelled so. my niece's or let's name. just go with name tags. Yeah. <laughs> Either way. Let's get into this. So uh, Stefan is breaking down some of the stuff or expanding on some some of the stuff from Jim Chapin's great book uh, and Advanced Techniques for the Modern Drummer, uh, the book that I misquoted to Jim himself when I said, thank you so much for all your work on syncopation. <laughs> right. And then he said, I'll tell Ted Reed when I get to heaven that you like his book. <laughs> now, did you know it was – I mean, which book were you actually referencing? You- uh, I literally um, – I just said, yeah, I think I said syncopation. But did you I mean syncopation s- or did you mean? It? No, no, not even close. So you it was just Jim's book, but you said the wrong of name. Of course. <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah. No, I, yeah. I, I spent too, too many hours out of both these. It, it was just like, I don't know, old white guy in my head. <laughs> I just started firing off names. It's like syncopation. Anyways, so we're get, diving into that. And if you guys haven't worked on this book, definitely do. Uh, I do have a question before we dive into this article. Was was this something new for you when you got into advanced techniques for the modern drummer? For me, it was my first time seeing swing written in sixteenth notes. Mm. Had you seen it? Because I mean, you must have been pretty young when you got into this book. I was probably in my early early teens. For me, it was it was, it was odd because I got this book after I'd been practicing a lot of jazz independence through other sources and it was more like you know you need to have this resource kind of a thing right i'd already done um you know i've been working on peter erskine's stuff for for years mm-hmm. and so I, in in reading big band charts in middle school where the ride symbol might be notated in dotted eights and sixteenths, or it might be notated okay in, just knowing just kind of us figuring it out quickly that it's the same thing yeah um, no one had to tell for me, me it, it definitely was, threw me for a loop yeah. Um, so yeah, that's right. He does write it that way because in the article, uh, Stefan has it all in triplets. Right. And I remember that was the first when I first got this. I didn't understand it, and all I had was my music theory knowledge as a teenager, as a young teenager. So I literally was going one e into two e into three e into four <laughs> right. e into one e into two e, and, and I was like, man, this feels now. Wait feels a minute. Kind of stiff. Doesn't he also have the the independent stuff written as eighth notes rather than? Like yeah. so, you could yeah. misinterpret that as being you're actually playing straight, straight over top of swing. yeah, yeah, yeah. That is, for as great as the book is, I think it also sent a lot of us down some interesting paths. <laughs> well, that's why I always say, like with advanced techniques, stick control, and syncopation, you have to have a teacher to walk you through. Uh, yeah, it. Do not; so. these are and not instruction manuals. Too, yeah. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Someone has to tell you what to do with this information. Okay, so he's tripletized this stuff for us. So from there. <laughs> Take it, Mr. Dawson. So what? So this piece is reimagining the independence content from Chapin's book and using that for solo ideas. So he's just removing the ride symbol altogether. So you're taking, you know, the little melodic rhythmic conversations that that Chapin wrote for, between the snare drum and bass drum, and now you've just played them as two to four bar uh, drum solos. So yeah. the first thing you do is you just play it as written without the ride symbol. You can use whatever sticking you want. Um, but it's just your hand, your hands on the snare drum and the bass drum. Um, so that's the first bit of it. And I think even just that alone, if you go through the whole book, there's because the thing with with what Jim wrote in that book, which maybe he says in the in the beginning, I don't remember. He based almost all of the snare drum bass drum 
independent stuff off of actual like rhythms that are in songs like melodies and things okay so it's very musical it's not like every possible triplet variation and you know 99 percent of them you'll never actually use all of it is musical phrases you can yeah you can hear a melody between the kick and the and the left hand now in this stuff is stefan asking us to do this as kick and left hand only no, nope. so now our right hand is okay. No, nope. it's free to be alternating one hand, two hands, mix stickings, whatever you want. So we can do whatever we want with our hands, but it is the left hand part yep. from advanced techniques. Exactly, and I think that's part of the magic is you develop your own sticking for this. Like I would, like the first two beats is a triplet and a quarter note with the first first partial of the triplet on the bass drum. So I would do bass drum left left right. That's how yeah. I would interpret that right go, away. Go get that. Yep. Yep. Rather than trying to alternate. <laughs> of course. That's so funny how like when we see just blank notation without sticking written over it, our mind immediately fills in the sticking of how would I do that? Yep. Because if I thought of kick, right, left, right, that feels awkward to me. Yep. But kick, left, left, right, it just feels like, okay, those lefts are going to be ghosted. He's got an accent on that right or on the downbeat of two. Yep. That makes sense. I'm going to do that. Um, yeah. Weird. Now, what would you do for beats three and four? So it's triplets on beats three and four. First two notes on the snare drum. Third note on each beat on the bass drum. And the first note of each triplet is accent. So da da da. How would you stick that? It would definitely for me. It'd be right left kick right left kick. Okay. And the the left would be ghosted. Dip Um And then I'd got I have a kick and then an accented left. So depa But okay. So then what about you? Well, probably by default I would do that, but then I would think in right away, like if I'm going to orchestrate this, as soon as we make that commitment, that kind of locks you into your orchestration possibilities. Sure. So what if you did right, left, kicked, left, right, kick? Left, right, kick. Yeah, I mean, that would open up the drum set for you. The other thing I was thinking when you were saying that is because my, I'm not going to just not play with my right hand. I don't have to just do this. I could do something else. So one phrase that, I definitely have worked on would be the two snares would be both left. So an accented left followed by a ghosted left. Mm. So left, left kick, left, left kick, which gives me that maybe I could double stack it with something else, you know? And that kind of gets right into what Stefan does for those two beats is he goes one step further and makes it a stick shot. So stick on stick on the downbeat and then a snare drum note. So that has to be right, right kick. Yes. Right. Yeah, and the other thing that you get out of doing that stick shot is there's always going to be at least a tiny bit of ghost note of the tip of your left stick making contacts mm-hmm. contact with the head. So you might get a little ghost right before it, which I think is always cool. Yeah, it's pretty deep. And then I'm thinking, who does that in the history of jazz? So I think if you do that right, right kick, right, right kick, I think that's Roy Haynes. So I'm immediately thinking of her light touch and kind of dancing on the kit. If he did that right, left kick, left, right kick, I'm thinking Elvin Jones, I'm going to move the hands to the toms and it's going to be this yeah. kind of barrel Bombastic. Kind of feel. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's the sticking to me is the first commitment or the first area of extensive exploration because it, it already assumes certain orchestration and certain phrasing. Um, so yeah, we've only gotten two exercises in and I'm already kind of, <laughs> I'm already kind of done. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, that's... I have this whole course on Mike's Lessons called From the Page to the Gig, and that's what it's talking about is when you look at this, the natural 
drummer in us just is like, okay, let me just blaze through this real quick. But the way, but you're never going to be able to use it after that. You'll just check it off. And it's literally, it's like passing a test in school. You pass the test because you crammed, but mm-hmm. you don't remember any of the information. If you spent the next three to four weeks developing number two only, you would have this skill for the rest of your life. Yeah. And you'd have a million skills that allowed this thing, this little two measure pattern to be possible. That's what I always want to dig into. When I see two measures like this, I want to think, what allowed that two measures to be possible in the first place? That's what I will study. And then I'll have a thousand of these rather mm. than this one. Yeah, I don't right. want to memorize this and somebody's like, hey, I'm working <laughs> on Chapin's book. Oh, that's the worst. Well, yeah, and then what I'd like to do is spend so much time with one tiny little chunk that you're forced to kind of like morph it into something else. Which yeah. if you look at like number three, if we just look at beat three and four, the only thing that Stefan did was he added a double stroke on the middle triplet. Right. But I'm thinking that's a universe now. So how are you going to interpret that? Is it going to be is it going to be a strict double or is it going to elongate it and turn this thing into a five? Like what's right. going to happen here? Is or are you going to buzz that? Yeah. Yeah, there. Yeah. And then oh, how do you man. stick it? <laughs> I don't know. I'm booking a flight to Jersey. We're going to work on this later today. I'll see you. Thanks for checking out the Modern Drummer podcast everybody. Yeah, so I th- I think that in these types of articles it's so easy to look at it as just notation and try to sight read it and get through it as fast as possible. If you do that, you've honestly missed the point of the lesson. The lesson is to, as Will Kennedy would say, fellowship with this stuff, mm-hmm. study with it, explore it, and explore it more and more each day. And don't give up on yourself. It's so easy to get to that finish point, that binary finish point of ones and zeros. Did I do it or not? And as soon as you say, yes, I did it, you just move on. Mm-hmm. Because we're coming, we're becoming information hoarders. But the problem with hoarding information, if you don't spend time with it, is you actually don't have any of it. Yeah, oh I think God. you did. Story of my life for twenty years, trying to <laughs> learn everything that every drummer has ever done in the history of drumming. <laughs> right. Yeah, and I mean that's why it's it's a it's a weird thing where I feel like a lot of people, especially in the music world can waste a lot of time on YouTube because because the information is free because there's such an overabundance of it they ingest a ton of information, but they don't value it the way that you and I valued a DVD that we spent $45 on back in the day because it was like, dude, that was that was literally two snare heads yeah. worth of money. I'm going to watch this. Even if I hate it, I'm going to watch it a thousand times because I, I have to get my money back out of this thing. I mean, I think I still have uh, Steve Smith's motion chapter memorized. Like I know what he's really the, the progression that he takes through that stuff. It's crazy yeah. because I watch it yeah. every single day. I mean, literally every day I watch oh, yeah. drum video <laughs> from start oh, to yeah. finish. <laughs> it's like insane. A All maniac. right. Anyway. Yeah. So it's a, it's, it looks like a simple piece where it's kind of doing things that, that many educators have talked about for a long time of, you know, substituting diddles for, for taps. And, but, I think the key is he took he started with something that was very melodic already. So then you're already dealing with music and you have to then say, Okay, I can't just play this as an exercise. You have to, you know, milk the most music out of each little chunk. Yes. Um so yeah, I spent some time with it if you haven't seen it yet. Or just open up your copy of uh Jim Chapin's book Syncopation <laughs> and <laughs> Syncopation by Jim Jimmy Chapin. Thanks a lot, Jimmy. Uh, and just try uh, the, this approach to the whole thing. Just remove the ride symbol. And, and just now, real quick, there are some beginning drummers out there that follow this podcast. We have to be clear. Jim Chapin wrote advanced <laughs> techniques for the modern drummer. Ted Reed wrote syncopation. 
I told Jim I loved his book Syncopation. While he was in the hospital, not doing well, he told me he would tell Ted Reed that I that I liked his book when he got to heaven in a few days. <laughs> it was like one of the worst moments song. of my life. <laughs> yeah. And you're this worldwide famous educator here. <laughs> I know. And I'm just crushing it like I should have literally just said, Man, love your your book basic drumming. I'll tell Joel Rothman when he gets there. <laughs> Anyways, talking about an amazing jazz drummer, oh, let's man. talk about Rancid's Brandon. Nope. I'm not trying that last name. Uh, Steinekert? Steinekert. Okay. Brandon Steinekert. In three, two, one. <laughs> <laughs> Talking about great jazz drummers, let's talk about Rancid's own Brandon Steinekert. Um, okay, so you were telling me before we even got started how much you loved his pocket, which is not something I would normally think I would hear about you speaking about a punk rock drummer. Yeah, so... Um Brandon is featured in the October issue, but in the Gearing Up segment, we got on stage to take a shot of his kit, which is a kind of the quintessential punk rock kit. It's a an acrylic um, SJC kit with you know two floor toms, shallow rack tom, um, a customized snare drum that has the um, what's that racing team Hoonigans Hoonigan mm. Racing. So it's like quintessential punk rock. Crashes are super high. Hi hats are all the way up, um, mm-hmm. but. Um, you can check out the specs on this kit in the issue. But if you check out some videos of him, and by the way, Brandon was in, I believe he was in The Used before he was in Rancid. Oh, really? Yeah, he's not the original okay. drummer for Rancid. I think he joined sure. 2006 or something like that. Um, but if you check out some videos of him playing, he's got some drum cams up. We'll drop in a little audio here. Um, what kind of almost made me uncomfortable watching, listening to him play was how how kind of big and fat his groove feels when he's playing these punk rock tempos. I think of punk rock drumming, I think everything's on the front of the beat, everything is edgy, everything's pushing and driving and aggressive, but somehow he makes it feel slow motion, which is pretty fascinating. So um, let's check out one of them here. Um, Which one should we do? I don't even know. Pick one, Mike. We're going to do radio drum cam. Perfect. Now, this is not, you know, this might sound like I'm, I'm speaking bad about it, but it gives me that sensation if you've ever had a dream where you can't do something, you can only do it in slow motion, like you're, you're playing baseball and you can only swing the bat yeah. like through water. That's kind of what his drumming gives me that sensation. Like he's just, he's almost like a matrix, you know, he's just in slow-mo, but yeah. the music is so fast. <laughs> it's so weird. Yeah, it's, I mean, I don't know, there's a power to his playing that, I've toured with a lot of these types of bands in my mm-hmm. past, so I've 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 seen this stuff close up for many many years, and usually there's I don't know how to say it because we're both of us are not try, trying to talk bad about punk rock, but the whole point of punk rock is that it's punk, yeah. so it doesn't need to be flawless. Like he he almost looks to me like the guy that's doing the sessions for the punk bands so yeah. they can go out on tour, yeah. Because I mean he's bashing like crazy, but it's so consistent. The snare tone is. F- 
you know, dead on every time. Yeah. He's flying around the toms, but hitting the sweet spot, dead center of the toms every time. His hi-hats are literally at the level of his chin. <laughs> right. But yet, but somehow it doesn't look like he has bad technique. Yeah, I mean, usually really comfortable. Yeah. When drummers play, especially when we first start playing, we hit our sticks together when we play our first groove, so we raise the hi-hats. Yeah. We just keep going and going because we have bad technique. He has great technique, and he's still got that whole punk rock vibe. So that's a, I, I'm with you. I mean, I, I feel like there's a little bit of Josh Freeze in here where... Yes, he's one of the greatest session drummers to ever live. He's playing with Sting. Mm-hmm. But when you see him play punk rock, it's like, okay, this dude this dude clearly knows how to do this stuff, but he just does it with that Josh Freeze precision. Yeah. And I feel like Brandon has that same vibe. Yeah. I want to drop in another one. This is um, Ruby Soho drum cam. So if it's, these are, I think both these are on SJC Custom Drums page if you want to find them there. But this was the one I first saw was like, he's there's dynamics, first of all. Like, it's not just he's trying to break everything, but... It's just the the flow of the tune. Like it's it sounds to me like he purposely set the BPM back maybe two or something. Like it's just really it's fascinating to me. But the band itself still sounds super energetic. It's it's pretty magical to me. I know I would be so on at head of the beat playing this stuff, and he's sitting behind. It's like if John Bonham played punk, I think it's crazy. So let's check out Ruby Soho. Okay, so that that video definitely shows me a little bit more of what you were seeing for sure. Um, there is a weird now in the very beginning, the first clip they show the audio is slightly off, so that makes it even more weird. But still, even when the audio gets totally synced, there is a weird slow motionness to yeah. him. Yep. But yet it's 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 on. Yeah, it's super it's, powerful. I mean, it's almost like what but uh, what Benny Greb said. I think he was actually quoting Steve Gadd, but. Uh, he said, do you play ahead of the beat, behind the beat? And Steve Gadd says, I just, I play on. Yeah. I play on the music. <laughs> yeah, whatever And I, do. I feel like, yeah, whatever the vibe is. And yeah, Brandon's killing this stuff. Yeah, so I think if, That's really cool. if any of you are out there playing this style of music and you're wondering why you're, you know, something's not quite settled, maybe take the opposite. It's kind of counterintuitive, for me at least. Yeah, right, sure. I think we want to be super fast, super edgy, you know, guns blazing, but just kind of chill <laughs> and sit a little bit further back. I bet this band sounds amazing live, like out front and full and with the full production because of and that. they've just been doing it. Yeah. And they've been doing it forever. Um, and they've, they've got their stuff down. The other thing I wanted to mention is that snare drum, 10 ply maple snare with one ply carbon fiber on the inside. Yeah. yeah that's a shotgun. <laughs> Dude. Yeah. That's, that's just <laughs> done. Done. I love it. Just cranked up. Very cool stuff. 7 by 12 tom, 12 by 14 floor, 14 by 16 floor, 18 by 22 kick. Going in yep. and rocking the A customs. Get yep. those shiny symbols exactly. on my kit. <laughs> Love it. All right, everybody. We'll check out Rancid's Brandon Steinekert. Did yeah. I do it right? Steinekert. Steinekert. Yeah. Boom. <laughs> and uh, I think you'll get a lot out of that. All right. What do we got next? This point, we have to thank our sponsors once again, uh, Cat Percussion. That is Cat, K-A-T, Percussion. Go to catpercussion.com. Take a look at what they have to offer. They have a lot of great MIDI controllers. In particular, the Mallet Cat Pro is a professional-quality MIDI controller that's set up like a three-octave xylophone. So you have 
the keys that are that are very sensitive and musical and you can expand this thing to four or five octaves with extra you know expander kits um, it has a really realistic feel i've used this before on you know orchestra pit style situations or i've had to play pretty dynamic uh marimba and, and vibraphone parts and they were totally convincing so check out the mallet cat pro um, it has a lot of a lot of advanced features. It, um, you know, f- to start, you can have 27 different programmed setups in there, and each setup can have you, know, you can assign a certain sound to one section of the keyboard. Different sounds, you know, different sounds to different sections of the keyboard, which is super cool. You can layer sounds. You can have uh, the sound of one sample hangover when you play a different sample, so they don't just cut each other off. Um, there's other other features. It's got a sustain pedal. Um, it's got what they call clam busters, which is designed to help silence the occasional missed note. Very interesting. So anyway, go to catpercussion.com. Check out the Mallet Cat Pro. Um, this could be something cool for you to check out. Um, if you're a keyboard player looking to get into some electronics, Mallet Cat Pro, and that's catkatpercussion.com. This episode is also brought to you by Dream Symbols. As I said in the beginning, um, if your local drum shop music store... Um, dealer doesn't have any dream symbols go down and just see if they can request you know or order a couple i believe they're distributed by kmc so they should be available in most places at least in the u.s um gets asked you know ask them to maybe order a couple ride symbols maybe a contact ride maybe a bliss ride 2022 something like that these are jazzy sounding kind of classic old vintage sounding symbols um, but they're priced to be pretty competitive. So you kind of, it's kind of a no brainer just to add one of these to your setup if you don't already have one. Um, yeah. So get your dealer to get some dream symbols, um, and let us know what you think. Um, okay. So gear review this week is something we definitely reviewed before, but I wanted to, um, bring it back. So the Roland SPD one pads, if you remember probably a year ago, we featured a bunch of these, but in particular, the red one, which is called the Wave Pad, is what is the only piece of gear that I'm taking with me to London because it is battery powered, so I don't have to worry about any weird power issues. Because <laughs> um, I don't have any converters. I don't know if you need adapters. That. Yeah, I don't yeah. know if you need those. You do. Yeah, so I don't. Yeah, do. I don't have those, so it's battery powered. It is super simple. It's a small little compact, like five and a half inch square box. It's got really sturdy knobs on top so it's easy to adjust the volume and you can mix the balance of the um, the master to your headphones and all that it's got 12 empty uh, it's hard to describe what they are there's 12 spaces where you can insert your own files um, so what I've got are I think I've got 8 of the loops that I created improvised a year ago that I used as kind of in my demonstrating my imp- improvising over loops approach to practicing so I've got like eight of those loaded in there. I've got two versions of a of a tune that I want to try to play, um, and it's all just housed internally. There's no there's no like external memory. You just plug a USB How, in. Okay, that's what I was gonna say. How does it get in there in the first place? Yeah. USB, USB, and it just it just shows up in your computer like a like a flash drive. So you just dump okay, the so files just, right on it. And then so how? Let's say that you want to get to loop eight. Because just to give you guys a heads up, just so you can envision this thing, it literally looks like if you had a stomp box for your guitar, but you stomped on it so hard that you flattened it out (laughs) and made it twice as wide. That's exactly what what it looks looks like. like. 
But so what I'm wondering is, okay, and then the stomp box part is just a rubber pad. Yep. So it's it's just a trigger pad. Yep. So let's say I want to get to loop three. That's the one I want to start on. How do I cycle through these loops? Do I actually have to play them nope. in order it's to get knob. to it? It's a knob. It's a knob. Yep. Okay. So the knob has what twelve positions yep. or yeah? There's no there's no uh, screen. It's just old old school. Oh yeah. yeah one through just, twelve. You just twist the knob. You go from one notch to the other. It's labeled on with paint <laughs> on top of the unit. That is uh, awesome. And, and each one of these colors is it looks like it's set up to be something different. Like one says kick, one says percussion. Yeah, so the red one is the one you can actually put your own files on. The other three, which is the white one's percussion, the I don't know, I don't know what you call that, neon yellow is, a, is sure. all bass drum samples. And the elect- electro one is all kind of like electronic versions of percussion drums and kicks. Gotcha. Those three you can't change the sounds. There's you can uh, you can add effects and things like that to it. But the wave pad is essentially just a blank memory that you can dump your own. I think it has the same size memory as the SBDS pad, honestly. I got to say, I, I can't think of any reason why every drummer on the planet that's playing modern music shouldn't have the red one yeah. at all times. Yeah. Worst case scenario, everything went down, you're fine. That's what I, I've got this. I've also got my iPad with the tracks on Dropbox. I've also got them on my iPhone. So. Right. Every possible way that I could need these loops and tracks to play are available. But if I could just turn this thing on and just hit the pad, then we're good to go. <laughs> yeah, this is, I mean, seriously, and especially for somebody that's maybe doing some modern stuff in a place that is tiny, like a little cafe, mm-hmm. this thing's awesome. Um, I mean, all of them are really cool, but I think for most people, the red one makes the most sense because they probably have their own samples, their own loops, and they just need a place to dump it. But when yeah. you look at, you know, uh, DTX or uh, what's the um, the pad that Roland makes like the normal yeah, the SPDX. SPDX yeah like it, that's a lot and then the Yamaha DTX Multi Twelve that's a lot and yeah. so something like this is just yeah. epic and it's um, um, and then these things are what two ninety nine the Wave ones two ninety nine the other ones are two fifty so you're you're paying more wow. because you're getting all that extra uh, memory but um, you know there are some shortcomings you can only do one thing at a time you can't like play number sure. one and then scroll to number 10 and, and play it over top of number one it'll, it'll as soon as you change the knob it, it turns off the sample or the loop but for but me that could be really cool for one shots like if you just have like the verse has some hand claps yeah exactly. switch the knob to number two for the for the chorus or and something the other cool that. feature especially if you do if you're playing along to like full backing tracks is it's set up there's two folders in each you know if you open the I don't know computer terms, but if you know you if you open the virtual version of it on your computer, there's folders for each memory slot, one through twelve. Okay. In in each of those folders, there's the master, and then there's the click. So you could you could you know mix your own click for each backing track, dump it into the click wow. folder, dump the master file that you, you know your full on play along track into the master folder, and it'll automatically sync them. So when you hit the pad to trigger it. The click only goes to the headphones. The master goes to both headphones and the output. Wow! And you can then there's a knob where you can actually blend the amount of click versus master in your headphones. It's kind That's of a epic. no-brainer for just doing quick play-along clinics, especially. And um, do you have some audio of you using this thing? Uh, not the wave one, but we do have. There is audio on the website of me just cycling through the various presets on a couple of the other pads. If you want to check it okay. out, yeah, let's check it out. Uh, you want to do the electro or the percussion? Yeah, let's do the electro. Okay, electro.
That was pretty rad. That mixed with your real hi hats pretty well. Yeah, yeah. It's it's that one. That was the electro pad. So that's that one has some just real practical. So I think if I'm going to say get one, the electro pad would be the one. If you just want some cool sounding kicks and snares and hand claps and hi hats sure. and stuff, it kind of just does it. Um, really cool. Yeah. So that that was that audio you heard was me playing an acoustic bass drum and snare drum and hi hats with my right hand playing the electro pad as like an alternate ride symbol or something. By the way, I wasn't bringing you back in. I was actually talking oh. to you. That was off air. <laughs> you just went straight in. I was still listening. I just said, man, I like, that was a very honest thing. Like, Hey bro, that those hi-hats actually sound really good with your hi-hats. And then you just got us back. Well, it was a good I was way like, well, I guess we're here back. now. So anyway, so you, at least now you guys know that off air, the compliments are honest because that was meant to be off air. <laughs> All right, so I, I would say the the other thing looking at this, especially for someone that's really intimidated by that world of electronics, what an awesome way to just dip your toe in. Yeah, like I said, you know, maybe of one song in your cover band that just has some hand claps in the bridge or something. You're like, God, do I have to get all that stuff? Mm-hmm. This seems pretty awesome to just dip your toe in. As you get more used to it, you can build from here. Yeah, totally. Highly recommend it. So that's awesome. Yeah, anyone who check them out. The website has all of them featured. I'm using the WavePad. That, like Mike said, that's the one that I think for long term use, I'm going to be relying on that a lot. So check it out. SPD One WavePad. Beautiful. All right, let's get into some listener questions. All right, we have two leftover audio questions from last week. So let's just try it right away. Who do we got first? Jesse Simons. Yeah, I like that. <laughs> that's what I was going to say. <laughs> Hey, Mike and Mike, it's Jesse up in Calgary, Alberta, Canada. Hope you guys are both doing really, really well. It's been a long time since I've tossed a question your way, mainly just because, well, you guys cover so much on the show that I never feel the need to ask a question, but I do have an issue as of late that I would love to get your thoughts on. So here's the issue. I have this amazing snare drum. It's a Danette Classic 2N brass drum, 6.5 by 14, and it's kind of been my go-to drum for the past few years. It's always stayed in tune, and it always works almost in any situation that I've been in. The issue I'm having lately is that it's going out of tune. Um, I noticed in the last few shows that I've been playing with this country band that about four to five songs into the set, I can hear the pitch of the drum going down. I had the uh, drum tuned up to around 275 our last gig, and by the end of the gig, it was sitting down at around 245 at each lug. So I'm just wondering if you know what would be causing this. Could it be heat and humidity? We usually don't get a lot of that here in the prairies, but we have had a lot of rain this summer, so perhaps it's that. You guys would know better. You guys both live on coasts. Or could it be something else? I'm just not really sure. This drum has always stayed in tune for me, so this is a pretty recent thing um, just this summer. So I'd love to get your thoughts on that as well. Uh, if you have any solutions as to how I could fix this, is there anything out there on the market that could help the drums stay in tune a little bit better? Anyways, we'd love to get your thoughts. Thanks so much for the podcast, guys. Keep up the great work, and we'll talk soon. Ciao. Now, for any of our listeners that are thinking that audio sounded a little crispy, and I don't want to submit an audio question if, if I can't be that. Jesse works in the radio world, okay? So that was like the, the most clear, crisp podcasting audio no, ever. I'm going to make he's sure He's probably I... sitting behind a giant mixing board while doing that. At a, like He's got like a trident desk. Uh, no, no, I'm going to make audio sure I, I, I down, downgrade the yeah. bitrate or something because he can't sound better than us. He can't sound better than us. Yeah, that was, that was a little messed up. Okay, so first of all, to get into it, obviously high-end snare drum. It's mm-hmm. probably not the drum's fault. Could be the way he plays and could just be we we've both dealt with tension rods just back out as you hit them. Um yeah. pretty normal. So I, I don't think I mean the only thing I could think of 
is a fresh head will do that for sure if you don't break it in mm-hmm. properly. That's good, but that would only last one or two gigs. Uh, and then after that, it's just lug locks. Yeah, yeah. There's any number of those out there. There's there's a bunch more popping up that I actually got a couple I'm testing now. There's a new one. Uh, probably can't mention it yet, but it's a it's a tension rod with a special washer that that keeps it from back. And I'm going to test that tomorrow. So cool. yeah, that stuff would help. I think um, kind of what concerned me was that it's just now happening. So I think my first question would be, well, is it an old head? Maybe it's starting to rip apart from the the actual flesh the hoop. Um, yep. And I believe those Danette shells are straight walled, so there's no flange. Mm. Um, I'm totally speculating, but maybe that could just shorten the life of a head over time because it's more of a like a sharper edge actually hitting the the plastic. Um, yeah. So that'd be the first thing I would suggest is is just try some different heads and see if it's just an old head. Um, that tends to happen to me. There's a there's a point when you know the head gets seated and it holds tune well, but then there's the opposite side when it's just destroyed and it's just overstretching. It's yeah, never and coming back. I think we have to be careful to not think that a head needs to actually be visibly dented to be toast. When you take it off, you'll see that there's a crater in the middle yeah, of it, even exactly. though it looked great on your drum. So I agree. I agree with Mike. Yeah, but that's uh that's just something we all deal with. Especially, I mean, if you're hitting a lot of rim shots, that's we're chasing that forever, I think. <laughs> yeah, I think uh, you're only the only two things that could possibly be happening is the tension rods are backing out, and if that's the case, you get some sort of lug lock. They just fit on top of the tension rod and lock it in place so that it can't back itself out. Uh, and then, and the other, and the way that you would find that out, not all ten or eight of your tension rods are going to back out. So when the gig's over, get your tune bot out and go around tension rod to tension rod, and if everything's at 275 but one is at 190 Mm -hmm. you know that that single tension rod is backing out most likely it's the one that is right next to your rim shot uh that's very normal or like mike said it's the head all right hopefully that helps do um what's our next one here this is nick murray our buddy nick is that poughkeepsie that's old poughkeepsie nick Hey, Mike and Mike. Um, This is Nick Murray from Poughkeepsie. Uh, I want to take a second to thank you for all the questions you've answered uh, for me. And I want to give you guys uh, something that's hopefully kind of fun. Um, It's more of a prompt than a question. And it's uh, something that you were asked long, like really early in the podcast. And that is um, if you were to create like a super drummer, like the left hand of one of your favorite drummers, the right hand of one of your favorite drummers, and you know the separate feet, and then the feel and touch and everything like uh, just combined. You know, who would you pick for each of those choices? And uh, you know, I, th- I think it'd be interesting to revisit since we've all listened to you guys grow as drummers and musicians. So it'd be cool to see how different it is, or if it's the same. You know. So. All right, thanks, guys. There we go. See, it sounded like Nick was driving. That's what I want. <laughs> Now we come back in and sound professional and deep and rich. All right, so he wants us to go limb by limb again. Oh, boy. I think last time we both just said all four Vinny got you to please and game over. Yes, (laughs) done, done. Okay, it's weird because I don't ever think of it as building the body of somebody. It's rare that I see that. I'm always seeing a drummer as, oh, I wish I had their touch mm-hmm. all four limbs the touch of that drummer the consistency of that drummer the creativity of that drummer i could build a drummer like that it's hard for me to build them limb by limb or maybe I, maybe when we did this three years ago maybe i did think more like that but now it might it wouldn't even make sense to me yeah it's hard for me to kind of break it down i think um 
I'm thinking about the drummers I've seen live in person over the years that it's obvious that there's something special in the way they hit the drums. Um, mm. Maybe that's how I would answer this question. I think experiencing Bernard Purdy in a room with no microphones is life-changing. The way he hits the drums and the sound he gets, it just sounds bigger and fuller but not loud than anyone. Um, so I would take any of his limbs. Um, yeah. I had the same experience with Near Z. It just sounded like a edited, polished, perfect recording live in the room. I would take that for certain things. Um, same thing with uh, Shannon Forrest. I think Near and Shannon Forrest might be my two, like, the perfect sound production for recording. But this was the kicker. I saw, um, and if anyone was at this trade show, you probably would remember this, but Keith Carlock sat in with a big band, and it was like every, you know, every song was a different world-famous drummer. Like okay. some of the best of the best. And then Keith went up there, and there is no denying that he just sounded better than everybody else. Just wow. sounded better. It was just bigger, more commanding, more confident, more fluid. Same drum set, same cymbals, just a different human right. being. So I kind of would want to be Keith Carlock. <laughs> yeah, know? yeah. I think I'll just take Keith for the win. <laughs> yeah, he's, that, there's no real wrong answer. I, like I said, I think it, it also depends on where you're at with your own progression at that time there might be a time where in your progression as a student you're just trying desperately to get faster desperately hard to get faster so anyone that has a lot of speed is just going to be ah oh, if i could just have that mm. and then as soon as you get that then you just wish you had the independence of thomas lang so you could play all these melodies mm. with your feet while soloing over the top of it and um i know right now i'm just kind of obsessed with touch i i want the stuff that I'm currently playing to sound better. I'm not on a quest for new mm. information. I'm on a quest for playing the same stuff, but making it sound better, more pleasant. And this last camp was the first time somebody said uh, they were talking about how camp was different than what they expected. And they were like, I wasn't really expecting to be inches away from your drum set and not need earplugs. Mm -hmm. I want to go home and work on my volume. And I was like, holy hell that's awesome no one's ever said that about my drum i've been working on that for three years thank you now do you expect um, your your tuning philosophy and all that's going to change or has it changed it already has yeah, yeah. i mean definitely the toms are coming up mm -hmm. um the rack tom is almost maybe not bop but it's up there mm -hmm. uh, my 12 is pretty tight my 14 is pretty loose but it's loose and dead so almost mm -hmm. no resonance it's just this thud and it, it it serves a purpose for sure. My snare is coming up. It's been coming up more because as I'm playing quieter, I want more response mm -hmm. out of the drum and I can actually use it. Uh, so yeah, it's definitely changing things for sure. Uh, but that's it's something that I notice when I see somebody play really fast on Instagram. Doesn't really do much for me if I see somebody play something hard. Like it doesn't sound good, but damn, that's hard. Doesn't do anything for me. Yeah. But then when I see somebody play with a touch, where I go, man. That's a 60s K. I, I could not make that symbol sound like that. Mm -hmm. That thing would be going ding, 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 <laughs> all over the place if I played it. So that's, and honestly, yeah, I mean, other stuff to talk about at a later date, but it is something that that's what is getting me excited about the drums right now is how someone sounds on their instrument. Yeah. Yeah, I dig that. That's, that's my whole quest the past six months of can I be comfortable playing drums by themselves with no tracks, no loops, nothing. 
and feel like I can convey something that's not just insecurity. (laughs) Totally. And and I got to say, there's something weird that goes on on a daily basis for me where, sorry, Jesse, we left your question a while ago. (laughs) There's something weird that's going on where, (laughs) yeah, Nick, why don't you just get your game together? (laughs) Okay. So um, there's something weird that's going on where, at home with my practice pads on my kit. So it's not a practice pad kit. It is a drum set with super pads and pads on the cymbals. There is a level of creativity that actually isn't there with the louder volume of a drum set. Mm, I know exactly what you're talking about. That's why I wear... Okay, so that's uh, real. That's why I, I... Even if I don't need it, I wear really nice quality earplugs all the time because I think it's just the sheer decibel level of mm, the drums that yeah. just freaking me out. It Disorienting? Me out. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Because it's funny, like, I'll be, I mean, uh, it's in our home office, my kit, and I'll be playing, and I just want to tell Am, like, Am, be honest, I sound really good right now, right? (laughs) Like, because it's funny, like, she'll walk up and down the hall dancing, and I'm like, no one dances when I play. Like, I'm killing it on these pads. And then I go back to the kit, and I'm like, oh, my God, why am I the worst drummer that's ever lived? So, okay, just wanted to know it was real. Sweet. No, that happens to me all the time. I try to, I try to only practice with earplugs in, so I, because I, it's, that's funny you bring that up because I don't necessarily want to play every gig with earplugs in, but I want to remind myself of the feeling of being on my kit and being comfortable and having yeah. fun with it, and then and not just being freaked out by the, just the sound of it. I think that's it's funny that you say that. I actually play better with my in ears in, but my board turned off, so they're just my earplugs mm-hmm. than I do when the board's turned on, and the sound is amazing. Yep. But yeah, I mean, and that's what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to bring myself down so that 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 can actually happen on a clinic and I can be present for what's happening in the room. Mm -hmm. There is a bit of detachment when you put in the earplugs, like you're losing touch with the reality of things. And I want to be there for that. And and I also want to then take advantage of the fact that I can hit. I can swing for the fences. So I want to use that to my advantage of, okay, I want to increase some intensity here through volume because mm-hmm. I do have it but I don't have it if I'm always playing at 10 so getting someone to say that was like uh, you know there wasn't a better compliment that could I, I could have ever asked for I was like oh bro give me a hug thank you glad you can hear it so all right, all right. thanks for your question Nick we didn't answer it but we tried our best to go mm-hmm. somewhere interesting so there um, you go send your audio questions to mdinfo at moderndrummer.com I think we might actually be getting close to caught up. So if you haven't had your question answered, uh, don't be shy about resubmitting it, mdinfo at It could have been just accidentally moved to the completed folder rather than the uncompleted folder. Um, yeah, so now it's time for picks of the week. I'm going to start with mm. just the history bit, which will be short and sweet. Um, if you haven't revisited the great, or if you're not aware of the great Gene Krupa, um, I think it's it's always good to remind yourself of how amazing this man was, to, you know, in spite of and also thankful because he was such a star. Uh, Gene Krupa, if you don't know him, he was a drummer with uh, Benny Goodman's big band, and they had a huge hit with possibly the first hit single that featured the drums, which is Sing, Sing, Sing. That came out around 1937. Um and what I think we often forget is that he was really the drummer that created the drum industry. There was no like system of what does a drum set actually look like. And if you were to order a right. drum set, what do you actually get? Before Gene, it was just a bass drum, a snare drum, 
other instruments, whatever else right. you had. So he was really important for codifying a drum set is bass drum, snare drum, toms, hi hat, ride cymbal, like the setup that we think of as a drum set. Right. Was because Gene was such a superstar and kids wanted to play drum set. So he went to Slingerland and said, hey, let's build a drum set that we can sell to all these kids. And that became the instrument that we now just assume has always existed, but it didn't. And not that far back. I mean, you're talking 30s, 40s. I mean, not that far back. Right. Um, And his personality never once waned even, you know, all the way, as long as he lived. It was always that just, damn, this guy. I mean, the hair, the suits, (laughs) always put together. And... You know, as you travel around the world doing drum events, it's it's a weird thing. Whenever you get somewhere, it seems like shop owners want to tell you the worst story they have. Mm. Of like, you ever done a clinic with this guy? And then uh, they just yeah. go off and you're like, oh, God, don't pull me into this. I don't want to be a part of it. And you never, like, the older shop owners that have dealt with Gene always had great things to say about him as a person. There were no bad stories floating around about him. Yeah, and he kept, he tried to keep it as fresh as he could up until the end. He passed away in 1973, and I found a clip here that's from 1971, um, which is him, what show is he on? He's on a TV show. Um, so we're going to drop in a little audio of that. It's him just doing the Gene thing. So you'll hear him up front in front of the band playing on a really cool looking pink kit uh, who knows what what it is at that point but <laughs> it's a pink kit yeah so let's just check out gene in every note and like his posture and like how much he cared about this stuff yeah it's just amazing yeah it's just it's the delivery of the simple but really effective stuff that i'm always reminded of how great he was because he yeah and his vocabulary is maybe something that someone in graduate high school or college drum lessons i mean it's not a sure. super advanced vocabulary but i believe every hi-hat note i mean i'm feeling absolutely it. He's conveying an emotion and doing some just i mean Focusing more on the toms and the snare versus everything defaulting to drum set position. Right. It's just really cool. So yeah, he's got a vast discography. There's also a great Love one it. I was going to feature, but um, you can look it up. It's the Benny Goodman Trio. I think it's um, – gosh, the title's really weird. Ding a <laughs> – Oh, wow. Let's pause for Here a second. Yeah, sorry for that little break. I had to find the name of it. But the the song, if you look up the original Benny Goodman Quartet 1972, I'm a Ding Dong Daddy, you're going to hear Gene playing Fiery. And it actually reminds me of Ari Honig, like just the intensity of him playing. So I'm a Ding Dong Daddy. (laughs) Nope, I'm not falling for this one. Not falling for it. All right, let's get to my pick of the week before we have to get into the Ding Dong Daddy. Um, <laughs> please, if any of you are going to see Mr. Dawson in London, please refer to him as the Ding Dong Daddy. 
when you meet him and when you ask questions in his clinic. That would nothing would make me happier than you would say, uh, "Yes, Mister Ding Dong oh, Daddy." I want a T-shirt now. I want a T-shirt. It's got <laughs> to have Ding Dong. It's got to have Gene Krupa's face on it, and it's got to right. Say, yeah, just so everyone knows, like I didn't make this up. I didn't call myself this. I love this song. It's amazing. All right. So my pick of the week, uh, obviously, no surprise. I was just spending the last four or five days with the folks at Adobe, and someone asked me, "Do you use Audition?" I said, "I tried." But because of my bandmates and whatnot, I ended up going back to Pro Tools. They said, well, have you ever seen this feature? So that my pick of the week is this feature in Adobe Audition that blew my mind, especially for the way it would work with drums. You can open up any sound file. Obviously, when we record stuff in Pro Tools or Logic or anything else, we get a WAV file. Well, you can open this stuff up in a spectrum analyzer, which will give you colors for every frequency. And what's really amazing is if you guys have ever used Photoshop and know what the spot healing brush is. Have you ever used that before, Mike? No. I mean, I don't even know how to open a file in Photoshop. That's fine. (laughs) So the spot healing brush would be, let's say that for whatever reason, you took a picture of somebody and on that day they just happened to have a blemish on their face. You would use the spot healing brush tool. And what it does is it actually would grab a different part of their face that matches that pigment and would fill it in. Mm -hmm. So you're not erasing it. It's like you're filling it in with it's called content aware fill. Anyways, they had added that to Adobe Audition. So let's say that I'm flying around the kit, making my little 60 second Instagram video. And as I'm flying around the kit, I accidentally graze the cowbell or I hit the cowbell, but I didn't mean to. You can visually see the frequency of just the cowbell and you just rub it out with this little oh, Jesus. <laughs> you just use the spot healing brush tool on that and it doesn't erase any of the audio except for those exact frequencies and that cowbell hit is gone. What? It is insane. This guy, so the the demo that he showed where I was like, okay, I'm using that for the rest of my life by Pro Tools. He was in somewhere in Dubai and he said, he was talking to the camera and right when he said something important, someone beeped their horn because it's Dubai and everyone beeps their horns. And he opened up the spectrum analyzer and you can see clearly the frequencies of the beep, like they Uh were a different color. And when he got rid of that and he just put the healing brush tool over that, the beep was gone and his voice that was speaking during that beep didn't dip down one decibel. Oh, it's deep fake. I'm scared. I'm, I'm scared. <laughs> oh, to- well, so then I was told that actually our government uses Adobe Audition quite a bit because of that tool and they can take things away so that what they're trying to hear is the only thing that's left. Terrifying. Nothing, awesome. Nothing's real anymore. Amazing. <laughs> it's all real. So I figured maybe next week, why don't I use this? I'll, I'll play something and I'll just randomly hit one cowbell hit and then I'll erase it. And we'll see if we can see what the audio sounds like. That sounds amazing. Now, if they could start doing that with video too. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, they can. Oh, the- so, yeah. So, they sh- so it's called Content Aware Fill. And so they had like a guy riding his bike and then a, a car passed him. And they just didn't want that car to be in the shot. So they um, sketched around it. And then it grabbed road from before the car and after the car and filled in the road where the car was for the next 40 frames. And the car never existed. Yikes. I mean, but how would you do that with a cowbell hit, though? Well, so what I'm saying is a lot of times I've actually done that exact thing where I was just flying from the left side of the kit to the right side of the kit. And on the way, I grazed the cowbell. Mm -hmm. But you visually didn't see me hit it. You just heard it, and it just seemed weird. So taking that out would be amazing. Um, And on the video side of things, the way that I see using that video feature in Adobe Premiere is 
what if in be- behind me there's cables going to my camera? I could just grab mm. those cables and it would fill it in with a different part of the wall and you would never see that there were any cables. All or right. maybe a C-stand with a light. I wonder what in Final Cut can sort of do that because I'm using like gradients and things to kind of black out right. junk. Um, yeah. There's got to be some way. That's yeah, awesome. I can tell you um, in Final Cut, nothing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Touche. Dude, I'm, I'm not, this episode I'm not, is over. <laughs> I'm not influenced by my last week with Adobe at all. Anyway, so check out Adobe Audition. If you guys already have the Creative Suite, you already have this program. But that feature to me, I was like, holy hell. There have been so many times where I accidentally hit a rim, and I'm like, well, I guess I'll do that takeover again. Now mm. that rim is gone. Awesome. All right. So I'm very not converting cool stuff. yet, but that sounds very tempting because I don't want to edit myself, <laughs> Mike. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Isn't it great to be Mr. Dawson? So good at the drum set. No, Whatever. Anyways, so Nick, if I, could be, if I could be anybody in the world, it would just be Mike Dawson's ability on the 12-inch rack tom. He's so good at the rack tom. <laughs> Oh, oh goodness all right gracious. king dingling or whatever your name is let's, let's call it a wrap all right oh uh, man the mac first pc time. thing got got heavy Ooh, got hot quick <laughs> got hot quick all right everybody thanks for listening we will see you guys next right, time see you later oh man